0: There we go. That's a lot better. Excellent. Good morning, everybody. I'm very happy, very honored to be here to fill in um, this morning. My connection to this church is a lot deeper than probably most of you know. My parents were married in this church almost 45 years ago by Brother Ruzich. When I was a small boy, I remember a couple of instances of coming with my grandmother, Joanne Sleeper, and some of you may remember her. She hasn't come to church here for many years, but she will be um, 87, hang on, she was born in 34, she's over 85, um, <laughs> And I remember staying the night with her and coming to church here and going to Sunday school with her and Doris Browning and her teaching Sunday school to little ones here. When I was in junior high, I came and was a part of the youth group here, and that was really my first introduction and how I have memories of the various Kirks and Friesmeyers and things that are here. And I went to -to back-to-school blast, and I went to a trip up in Peoria that I don't remember the name of, and I went on canoe trips, and I was a part of this church and the youth group side for several years until my home church in Milton started to do their own thing. My connection certainly goes beyond my wife, though she is now my greatest connection to it. Most of you know that Lauren DeVries is my wife. And I don't want to tell you all of our story, but I want to tell you a couple of little pieces of it this morning. Even in my connections to this church in the past, I never met Lauren until about four and a half years ago. Never met her. I knew that there were lots of DeVries children. I had met a few of them. And about four and a half years ago, I met Lauren. And the first time that I met her and spoke to her was when Bob and Carla and some of the rest of the kids went to Ethiopia. And while they were gone, Lauren and I were going to have to do street hockey in Milton that day, the after-school program that we do and they do on Thursdays. We were going to be the only two adults that were there. And Lauren had been told about me, and I had been told about Lauren, and and I was interested and she was not. (laughs) And... We showed up on that particular Thursday, and I spoke first, which if you know me, that's very uncharacteristic. I said, hi, Lauren. She said hi, and that was it. We were there for a couple of hours. I think that's all that we said to each other the entire time. We both said hi. We we felt that we had met our obligation. About a month later, I was fishing in the pond at Bob and Carla's house and Bob and Carla were leaving and they stopped and Bob got out and he talked and he said hello and everything and I said, um, Bob there's been several people that have told me I need to get to know Lauren and Bob had been my teacher in high school and Bob had been a part of the youth group when I was here and Bob and... I were a part of a Bible study then and and are still to today. And I just wanted to talk to him first about it. And he said, yeah, we can have a conversation about that. So we did. A couple of days later, we had a conversation about what that could potentially mean and what that might possibly look like. And he went home and he talked to Lauren About it, and he introduced the idea to her of what I had said and what I was interested in. And her honest, 100% truthful, exact words were, What about Aubrey? (laughs) Because you see, at that time, a month later, I was 100% convinced we were going to get married. She was completely disinterested. So after that time, she did not say immediately no. She said, I don't know. She continued to say I don't know for about two and a half months. And then she went to Scotland for six weeks. I thought I might get a hug when she left. I didn't get one. Some of this you may remember if you came to our wedding and you kind of walked the trees and looked at the different things and the different pictures that we had there at our wedding that kind of told our story. While she was gone, I had kind of said, hey, let's take this time to not really talk to each other and not send emails and text messages back and forth and just kind of see what God is saying to each and every one of us. That didn't last very long. And we were sending text messages and emails back and forth. And at one point, I sent her an email and I said, I just want to talk to you about these two songs that have been on my heart. And one of them was, the song, Holy Wedding Day. It's one of the songs that was played at our wedding. If you happened to be there and were a part of it, it was a song that, that Robbie and I think Adeline played and sang. It's an incredible song about the picture of a bride and a groom coming together and it's a picture of heaven with the church as Christ's bride and the anticipation that she has waiting for that and the anticipation that the groom has. And the other song that was working in my heart and my mind was the song Dry Bones by Lauren Daigle. I have my opinions about her. You may have them as well. But that song was incredibly popular at the time and it kept coming on the radio every time I turned it on and I turned on a music app in my phone and that was the song that popped up and happened to play a lot and it just continued to speak into my life as God seemed to be positioning it and telling me something. It's a story that I knew incredibly well. It's a story from Ezekiel chapter 37. If you've got your Bibles in front of you and you want to follow along with me today, that's what we're going to be looking at. Ezekiel chapter 37, the story of God taking Ezekiel out and showing him this valley of dry bones. And as the song continues, it talks about The bones coming together and the spirit filling the bodies that have been put back together. And I want to go through this story. It says in verse 1, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in a valley full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. This is a place of absolute desolation and death, and it's been that way for a long time. These aren't bodies that that passed away yesterday, and there's some question whether or not there's any life left into them, or if they can be brought back, they are 100% dead and gone, and there is no possibility of return. You guys know anybody's life that's like that? As you go about your workplace, as you interact with your friends and your family, as you see your neighbors, do you see anybody that's broken? Do you see anybody that could well be described as a pile of bones that doesn't have any seeming life in it, godly life or not? You guys know people like that? Let me tell you about Milton. Let me tell you about where Lauren and I live. A few years ago, I looked up some statistics for Milton. I don't remember where I found them, and I actually haven't been able to find them again. Milton, Illinois, 250-ish people, 12 miles that way, has a higher poverty rate, a higher illiteracy rate, a higher drug use rate, and a higher incarceration rate than Chicago, Illinois. Four years ago, we put on vacation Bible school at our church. There were about 30 kids there. Over half of them had one parent in prison. Several of them had both. The police have been at our neighbor across the street's house two out of the last three days. Milton is a community that could be described in the same way as this valley of dry bones that he ezekiel is seen many of you have had the opportunity to be a part of backyard bible club in the various communities that the church here has done in new salem some of you have been there and lauren and i have been there and worked before and many of you have been to nebo and you've been to other places around here are those communities here are they valleys of dry bones are there people living there that need to know jesus that need to know god that whose lives are completely fallen apart And we might question to ourselves this very next question that God asked of Ezekiel. God says, can these bones live? Son of man, can these bones live? And as I walk throughout my community, as I go to church in Milton, as I'm a deacon at the church there, and I often preach, and we teach Sunday school, and are a part of youth group, and we look at these broken lives all around us, a lot of times we throw up our hands in a way and say, can these people live? Can anything be done in their situation and in their life to change it, to bring them to a knowledge of Jesus so that they can know who he is and be filled with their spirit, be filled with his spirit? And I love Ezekiel's answer because he says, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Because in that statement, you alone know, he is also saying, only you can do it. If it can be done... If these bones can be put back together and there can be flesh and blood and there can be life breathed back into them into a heart that beats, only you can do it. Ezekiel doesn't say, well, God, let me I don't know, let me try, let me grab this femur and let me grab this tibia and fibula over here and then I'll put the kneecap together and I'll try to stretch it back together myself. He immediately acknowledges that the only solution to the situation at hand is God acting and there's nothing he can do. It's a great reminder for us as we attempt to work and move in our communities and we work and move in a way that we feel God has called us to do to continue to acknowledge that, God, you are the only one that can do this. And if anything that is accomplished through what I'm doing, it's only because you are causing it to happen. Verse 4, he continues and says, Then he, then God said to Ezekiel, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign says to these bones. I will make breath into you, and you will come to life, and I will attach tendons to you, and I will make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin, and I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And he continues and said, I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked at the tendons, And the flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So as this song continues to come up and play in my mind several years ago, and I continue to remember this story and work it through it in my mind as I'm thinking about the people in my community and in my church and in my workplace and in my family that don't know Jesus, and there's some of them that are that completely broken pile of dry bones that have absolutely no life and then it looks like nothing can be done to save them there's another group there's a group of people that I know and that I love and that I care about whose life isn't a wreck who it looks like there is life in them and everything is good and perfect and everything is wonderful but it says they have no breath because they have no spirit of God living in them and you know those people as well. You live with them and you work with them. They're your neighbors across the street where they're not necessarily broken in a way that the world would see broken. There may be a two-parent home with several kids and everybody works and the American dream seems to be alive and well in them, but they don't know Jesus. There's no spirit living within them. There's no, as this text says, breath living within them. The NIV translates this word breath. This word appears in the Old Testament about 300 times. 171 of those times, this word is translated spirit. And only 50 times is it translated breath. So let's read it that way. So it says, I, pro- I commanded, or I prophesied as I was commanded. Let's go back to to verse 4. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make my spirit enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you. I will cover you with skin, and I will put my spirit in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. What is the prerequisite to life? The entrance of the spirit of God. In this body. And it says he prophesies. And the bones all come together. But there is no spirit in them. They look alive. But they have no breath. I work for Whitetail Properties. I am the Midwest Marketing Manager. One of my wife's favorite reasons for me working there is that all of my taxidermied animals are at my office. And they are not in her house. And if you see really good taxidermied animals, they look alive. And guys are so incredibly good, they can make them look incredibly alive. There's so good ones that I've seen of deer jumping over fences, and it looks like a live deer jumping over a fence, but there's no breath in it, or it looks like a duck flying through the sky or swimming on the water, but there's no breath in them. It looks like at any second they could come alive. Has anybody ever been to the Field Museum in Chicago? Have you seen the two lions? From the movie, The Ghost in the Darkness, that story of the man-eating lions of Savo that takes place in Africa. The two real lions that were eating railroad workers are stuffed in the museum in Chicago. And it looks like they could at any instance jump out at you and kill you and add you to that count of dead bodies that they have. But they have no breath. And so many people in our world around us look the exact same way. They look as if they are living by all accounts on the outside, but there is no breath in them. no spirit of God in them. Then God continues and says, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Let's reread that text again. Then he said to me, prophesy to the Spirit of God, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O Spirit of God, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied and he, as he commanded me, and the Spirit of God entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. What an incredible picture, going from this Littered ground and valley of dry bones that have been dead for an extended period of time. There is absolutely no life in them and nothing worldly can take place to put them back together and to breathe life in them and make them this vast army that stands now before Ezekiel and stands before God. Armies do a few things. Armies obey boldly and sacrificially that's what an army does many of you have served in the military in one branch or another and you know others that have you probably know some that may have given their life for our country and they were willing to serve and were served obediently and boldly all the way to the point of sacrificing their lives And this is what this army is going to do, this vast army that God has put back together. He wants obedience from it and boldness from it and sacrifice from it. And that's what I continued to see as I was looking around my community of Milton. God, I want you to do something incredible to put these people's lives back together. If you want to use me, that's great. If you want to use my wife or the preacher, that's great too. If you want to use none of us and do it completely differently, please put these people's lives back together and put bone upon bone and breathe your spirit into them so that they can stand and live and they can be a vast army that is obedient to you and boldly proclaims your name and proclaims the name of Jesus. And if they are called to is willing to sacrifice their life for you it's what we see in the book of acts it's what we see as the church begins we see obedience we see boldness we see sacrifice but what do we see before that every time acts chapter 2 It says in verse 14, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And he gives this incredibly bold speech and and sermon about who Jesus was. And this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. What happens at the beginning of chapter 2? You can tell me, you can answer. What happens at the beginning of chapter 2? They were all together in the same place. And as they were meeting, a sound like a rushing violent wind came, and tongues of fire rested upon them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And this filling with the Holy Spirit leads to Peter speaking boldly. And 3,000 were added to their number. It says in chapter 4, in verse 23, that Peter and John are released from prison. They go back to their own people and report all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And in verse 31, it says, After they prayed, where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. In chapter 7, excuse me, in chapter 9, Saul has this experience with Jesus on the road. He gets into Damascus, and Ananias comes to him and speaks. To him and he says brother Saul the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again he got up and was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength and it says in chapter 9, down in verse 28, So Saul stayed with them, moved about Jerusalem freely, speaking boldly the name of the Lord Jesus. And as we know as this story continues throughout the book of Acts, Jesus, or Stephen, who was a man accredited to be filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke boldly before the Sanhedrin, and he was stoned to death. We can continue to go through the book of Acts and after the book of Acts ends and the disciples carry the message of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, they do so obediently and they do so boldly and they do so sacrificing every single one of their lives. And I so wanted it, four years ago as I listened to this song about dry bones being put back together for God, I wanted these people in my community to know Jesus and for their lives to be put back together and for the spirit of God to be breathed in them. And I wanted them to stand up this vast army to stand beside me and all of the rest of us to boldly proclaim Jesus Christ and his kingdom to the end of the earth. The problem is, i had made a mistake. Because I did something dangerous. I opened my Bible. And I went back and I read the story. Because all along I've been thinking about everyone that's out there. And that's who this story is talking about, right? All of those people that are out there. But if you read what verse 11 says, it says, Then he said to me, God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel, these are my people. These are the people that I love. This is my church. You're looking at my church. They are this valley of dry bones before me. It's not the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Canaanites and all those ites that God talks about through the rest of the Old Testament that are this valley of dry bones that he wants put back together. It is the people that he loves. It is his church, his chosen people, his treasured possession. It's us. It's us. And it's not that those people out there aren't broken, and it's not that God can't put their lives back together, but if I read this text and I want to think about how it applies to me today, 2,600 years removed from Ezekiel and his time spent during the Babylonian captivity of the nation of Israel, this is about us. And it's about our need for God to put us back together and for God to fill us with his spirit and for God to turn us into a vast army that is obedient and is bold and is sacrificial. I'd made a mistake. So I had to look at myself and I had to think which of these three categories do I put myself in? Am I, as an individual, a valley of dry bones that's obviously dead? That everyone who sees my life as I go throughout it knows that I am a broken person because of all that has gone on? Or am I a person that it looks like I'm living? It looks like I'm living a wonderful Christian, godly life, but if you really got up close to me and you felt my heart and you put your hand on my chest, you would know there was no breath, there was no spirit there. Or am I a part of this vast army that God has breathed life into and he's breathed his spirit into me and I stand on my feet alive, ready to serve? And it's a question I had to ask for my church as a deacon of the church in Milton. Is that church, is it a valley of dry bones? Does it look alive to the community but there's no spirit of God in us or is it a live, vibrant body of believers and, a, and an army that endeavors to obediently serve God in Milton and beyond it? And it's a question all of us have to ask. Ask of ourselves as individual people, ask of this church, which group does this church fall into? Are we a valley of dry bones and everyone around us knows that we are broken and we are dead? Do we give all the appearance of being obedient to Jesus Christ by the way that we live our life, but there is no Spirit of God in us? Or are we a vast army ready to do His will and ready to be obedient and to serve Him? So I ask of you today to ask that question. Ask it honestly. Ask it boldly. Ask it understanding how dangerous it is to yourself and to your comfort and potentially to your family and your job and your life and your church to ask of that question and potentially realize that you are not part of the vast army that God wants you to be a part of. There has been another song that has been a part of Lauren and I's relationship and a part of the ministry that we have done beyond that one and I want to read the words to you you may know this song spirit pour out and flood this city heaven come down and shake the walls fill us Lord the world is waiting father let your kingdom come Come restore generations of desolation. Bind up the broken, brokenhearted and the poor. Plant and sow. Reap and grow what time has ravaged. Break down the walls of race and war. Spirit pour out and flood this city. Heaven come down and shake the walls. Fill us, Lord. The world is waiting. Father, let your kingdom come. God, we seek the peace and welfare of our city. Prosper, redeem her as your own, that all would see your glory here in greater measure. Through us, your church, your kingdom come. You are the God who builds. You are the God who saves. You are the God who prospers. Evil has no claim. You are the God who builds. You are the God who saves. You are the God who prospers. Fervently, we pray. As we read throughout those stories of the book of Acts and we see the Holy Spirit being poured into people's life, that Holy Spirit came after fervent prayer. The people were gathered together and they were praying. The disciples were gathered together in the upper room and the Spirit came upon them. If you find yourself today as you honestly ask the question and answer it and you see yourself not filled with the spirit of God and not a part of this vast army of obedience and boldness and sacrifice to him, my prayer today is that you will pray a a dangerous prayer and you will ask God to fill you with his spirit. It is a prayer that I pray, that my wife prays, that we pray for our son, that we pray for our community, and that I pray that you pray for yourself, that God will pour his spirit mightily out upon you, and that he will fill you. And that filling of the Holy Spirit will not simply be a wonderful feeling that you have on a Sunday morning, but it is one that vastly changes your life and causes you to go out those doors into a world that needs to know who Jesus is, that is incredibly broken, and through your filling of the Holy Spirit, God will work mightily in you to fill them with his Spirit as well. Would you repeat these words with me as we close today? Spirit, pour out and flood this city. Heaven, come down and shake the walls. Fill us, Lord, the world is waiting. Father, let your kingdom come. You are the God who builds. You are the God who saves. You are the God who prospers. Evil has no claim. You are the God who builds. You are the God who saves. You are the God who prospers. Fervently we pray. You are the God who builds. You are the God who saves. You are the God who prospers. Evil has no claim. You are the God who builds. You are the God who saves. You are the God who prospers fervently, we pray. Again, it's Ezekiel's answer. Oh, Sovereign Lord, you alone know you are the God that can put all of this back together and that can bring change in our world and can bring change in our lives. As we sing this morning, as we sing Graves into Gardens, a very apt song for us to sing based upon our picture here in Scripture. Of a vast graveyard of dry bones that God puts back together through His Spirit and through His Word. It all returns to life. As we sing this song together, if you want to come forward and you want to fervently pray a prayer to God of fill me with your Holy Spirit. I encourage you and I pray for you to come and give your life for a first time again to Jesus and I'll ask God to fill you with his spirit. Acknowledging that that is a dangerous prayer, acknowledging that it's a dangerous ask, but being perfectly open to what God will do in you and through you in the days to come. You stand and sing this with us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us the chance that we can gather into your house today, Father. And we pray, Father, that as the Spirit came like a rushing violent wind and filled the upper room, may it fill millions of church buildings and church rooms across the world today, Father. May your Spirit dwell in people all across the earth, may they call out to You and say, Father, fill me with Your Spirit. I want Your Spirit to guide me and to dictate my words and my deeds and my life. I want to be obedient. I want to go forth boldly into the world. I want to proclaim the name of Your Son, Jesus, to the very ends of the earth. And if You call me to, I want to be willing to sacrifice my life for You as You sacrifice Your life for each and every one of us. Father, that is our fervent prayer this morning. Help us to examine our hearts and our minds, our lives today, to see what our standing is before You. Are we a valley of dry bones? Do we have the appearance of life, but no breath in us? Or Father, have You poured Your Spirit into us and we have been obedient to You and we give only You the praise and the glory and the honor for that obedience because there is nothing inside of us that gives us the opportunity and the willingness to be obedient than your spirit living and working and moving in us. Father, we thank you most of all this day for your son Jesus, for his obedience as he walked this earth, for his boldness to proclaim the kingdom that was coming and the kingdom that is yet to come, and that he was willing to sacrifice his life for us. but we know that three days later there was resurrection and there was life for Him. And that same God, that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is a Spirit that lives in us. And Father, lead us out into this world and help us to raise others from the dead as Your Spirit works and moves in us. As we look forward to the ultimate resurrection from the dead, And the ultimate opportunity to stand before you and worship and to declare our obedience and our service, our boldness and our sacrifice to you before your throne one day in heaven. Father, we thank you again for all that you do for us, all that you have done in our lives. We give you glory and honor and praise. We pray that you pour your spirit out upon us and give us wisdom and strength for this day and for tomorrow and for all the days to come. And it is in Jesus' most precious name I pray. Amen.